So tonight we start a, um, I guess we start again, our study of the book of Acts. We took that break during Christmas time so we could spend some time looking at the Christmas story. But today we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. If uh, you've got your electronic device, turn there if you will. We'll have it on the screen for you as well. I am a dog person. Do I have any other dog people in the room with me? Got a few, got a few, okay? Now, I am not a dog person that owns a dog anymore. I dog sit for my adult children's dogs. So I've got some pictures, okay? You can't, yeah, proud, proud granted. Here's, here's the first one. This is Carter. That's my mother-in-law, by the way. This is Carter. Carter is a border collie. He is my son Taylor's dog. He is the sweetest, kindest, smartest dog. Listen, here's what Carter does. He comes walking up to you. If you're eating, Carter wants to be near you because he wants to eat whatever you're eating. Here's the other thing Carter does. He believes that he ought to be petted 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. If your hand is anywhere close to him, that nuzzle is going to happen for you and you're going to get to pet Carter. So that's Carter. Let me give you a second part of our dog family. This is Wrigley. Wrigley is a Yorkshire Terrier. Wrigley doesn't have an obedient bone in his body. Wrigley does what he wants to do when he wants to do it, and how he wants to do it. Wrigley is so hyper that he will just sit there and shake with excitement because he just thinks, you know what? I got to be involved in something. We let Wrigley outside. Wrigley literally just runs laps around the tree trying to hope that there might be a squirrel that he sees. If he caught it, he wouldn't know what to do with it. He's a smart dog, but he's also a bit of a just kind of difficult dog. You tell Wrigley to do something, he won't do it. You tell Carter to do something, Carter's instantaneous. Carter, sit. Automatically down. You tell Wrigley to sit, Wrigley looks at you like, "Uh uh-uh, not going to do it. So here's my question for us. What makes a good dog? We've all got different answers. But one of the things that I think is true when we talk about a dog being a good dog, we all love dogs that love us and they're, you know, they're our friends and they're, they're our pets. But a good dog is a dog that tends to obey us and do what we want it to do. I got to thinking about that. When teachers talk about a kid being a good kid, what do they mean about that kid being a good kid? He follows instructions, does what he's supposed to do, turns homework in on time, doesn't create problems in the classroom. When an employer talks about a good employee, what do they talk about? It's the same thing. They take initiative, they do good things, but they work within the parameters that have been set for them, and I keep tripping over this word, Obedience. So here's a bigger question for us tonight. What makes a good Christian? What did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll do what? 
you'll obey me. You'll keep my commandments. You'll do the things that I think that you need to do. And we do it out of love, not out of anything else that is there. So as we look at Acts chapter 8, and we go through this story, I want you to see how God does some extraordinary things in it. But he does it through ordinary obedience. Now you get to Acts chapter 8 and you see the gospel actually moving out to the Gentiles. It's been in Jerusalem up until this point. And now it's actually doing what Acts 1.8 said was going to happen. It's going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so God's going to use a person to accomplish this task of seeing the gospel go forward. His name is Philip. He's not the apostle Philip. He is one of the seven that was called in Acts chapter 6 to feed the Grecian widows. He's a cafeteria worker. God's going to take a cafeteria worker and he's going to do this extraordinary thing through him. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now that's a big deal. Philip has found himself in Jerusalem like the rest of the church. It's where the center of Christianity is. And he's been told to go toward Gaza. If you've ever traveled toward West Texas... And particularly, if you've ever traveled toward the Panhandle, if you get on 287, you're going to go through a little town that's a lot like Gaza. It's called Esteline. There's about 4,000 people that live in that town. The only thing you're going to find there is maybe a Dairy Queen that's kind of on the outskirts of it. And you're going to find 25 policemen who hide behind billboards because in Esteline, the speed limit goes from 75 all the way to 25 in a span of about 30 feet. It is the greatest speed trap of all. I got stopped there once. I know it well. And I asked the guy, I said, what is this town's industry? He said, tourist. And I went, you have people come here? He said, no, we have people pay lots of fines here that are coming through here. And that's basically what he ended up doing. He's on the way to a town like that. Gaza was a place that we ought to know from Old Testament history. It's the place that Goliath came out of. He came out of this spot that is there. And so here's my question. If the angel of the Lord told you to go to Esteline, would you be all hyped up to go? Or would you have a conversation? Are you sure that's where you want me to go? Are you sure that's what I ought to be doing? After all, I'm here in Dallas, and in Dallas we have a lot more opportunity. You would think that that might be a conversation, but it isn't with Philip. Here's what Scripture says. So he started out. God said move, and he moved. He knew something we need to learn. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So Philip went. He just decided, you know what? If God says it's what I need to do, then it's absolutely what I need to do. So I want to look at this story, and I want to look at it in the context of three different ideas. Here's the first one. Extraordinary outcomes start... With ordinary 
obedience. Listen. Going to Gaza is way out of Philip's comfort zone. 165 miles away from Jerusalem. It is a long, long walk. It is a dirty, nasty little town. Why in the world would the Lord have him go in that direction? But his response is, I'm on my way. See, I think at the center of obedience is this idea that we are willing to trust God and believe that God has a plan for our life. And here's the thing that I think we also have to kind of consider. Are we, are we as Christians, as we think about this idea of obedience, are we people that really want to do what God says do? Or do we just want to please man and do what we think is best? And I think so many times we get caught up in the things that we think are better than the things God has in store for us to go do. It's what Paul talked about in Galatians 1.10. He says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that word that he used for servant is bondservant. See, true freedom is the ability to choose your own master. And here is Paul saying, if you're a bondservant of Jesus Christ, you choose him as your master. And as you choose him, you do what he says, when he says, how he says. And it's not a debate point. You just go. And you just do. If you were to summarize Philip's mission, it's three words. Trust and obey. I have no idea, God, why you want me to go toward Gaza. But if that's what you want me to do, then that's what I will go do. Look at verses 27 and 28. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasuries of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. You need to know two things about this man. Two things are important and we're going to come back to these two things. First of all, he's a eunuch. He's been castrated. Now he is the CFO of this country. He is in charge of the treasury. And he is going to be around the queen and he is going to be around other women in the palace. And so you know how they decided to deal with any potential frisky business? Literally cut it out. It's what they did. They said, okay, we're going to be sure that you're going to be focused. That could focus you. And, they, and he was. Here's the second thing he was. He's a foreigner. He's a eunuch. And he's a foreigner. I want you to look at what happens. Verse 30. Philip runs up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? He asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You've got the eunuch reading Isaiah the prophet. If you're an evangelist, this is what we call a slam dunk opportunity. Here is an opportunity that is right there in front of you. He invites Philip to come and lead me through this passage. 
Help me understand what this is all about. Help me begin to know what's happening. He's reading it out loud, which is normal. That would have been a practice in antiquity. They read scripture out loud, and this is what he's reading from Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer who is silent, he did not open up his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, catch this question. Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? It's a good question, isn't it? Who's he talking about? What's this all about? Is this about him? Is this something that's going to happen to him? Or is this going to happen to somebody else? And look what happens here. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Here's what you need to know about this man. This man had everything that life had to offer. Everything. He was rich. He might have even began to be famous a little bit. He was someone that had a lot of money. Listen, if you could read a scroll and carry a scroll with you, you had tremendous money. Nobody had those things. To be able to purchase a scroll was a big deal. He had it all, and yet he finds in his heart and in his soul, he's empty. And he decides, you know what? Somehow he came in contact with this idea. There is a monotheistic, a one God that I'm going to go worship. And he is the God of the Hebrews. And I'm going to make my way down to Jerusalem and do that. He, he is, he's there. He's seeking God. But when he gets to the temple, here's what's going to happen to him. Remember those two words. He's a foreigner. And he's a eunuch. So he's not going to be able to go inside the temple. At the very best, he might be able to go to the court of the Gentiles. But that's going to be about that. And he's on his way home. Do you understand how much God must love this man? And I don't think that God loves him any more than God loves you and me. Because here he is. He sends Philip plucks him out of Jerusalem, sends him down the desert way toward Gaza, where he encounters this man who is reading Isaiah 53, which leads me to the second idea I want us to consider. There are extraordinary opportunities opened through ordinary obedience. Here's the thing that happened with Philip. He's interruptible. I don't know how you plan your life. But I like things on my schedule that I know exactly is going to happen, when it's supposed to happen, how it's supposed to happen. But here's what I found out. There are times that God will put some opportunities, I call them divine appointments, that show up out of nowhere, they're unannounced, they're unexpected, and I have learned to go with the flow in those moments because God does some extraordinary things when I allow myself to be faithful and to do what it is he has called me to go do. And so Philip is willing to have his life interrupted, and he listens to what's on this man's heart, and he asks him this great question, do you understand what it is you're reading? 
And he says, how am I supposed to understand it unless somebody can explain it to me? He invites him up and they begin to have this conversation. And Philip takes him from where he is and he knows the whole story of Scripture, that entire narrative leads up and goes forth from the idea of Jesus the Messiah. And that's where he spends his time. And that's where he takes him. See... You look at these two men and you sit there and go, why would God pair them up together? They don't look like they would have anything in common. This passage takes away all of our excuses. The gospel in this passage penetrates racial boundaries. They're of different races, socioeconomic boundaries. They're in different places along the stat, uh, along that whole streamline of what it means to be rich and poor. Professional boundaries, geographic boundaries, physical boundaries. This guy couldn't be any more different than Philip. But here's what you know. The hope we find in Jesus tears down every wall that we as men will arbitrarily put up. Wrecks it. And that's what's happened in this as well. See, we've got to care more about the mission than we do the approval of men and our own comfort. Listen, it wasn't easy for Philip to leave Jerusalem. But he was willing to do it because God said there's something else there. In November of this year... There was a movie that came out that I think is one of the most interesting movies. Mel Gibson produced it. It's called Hacksaw Ridge. Who all saw Hacksaw Ridge? Okay, got a, got a few. It's a great movie. It's the story of Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss is a Seventh-day Adventist, a conscientious objector. And yet he did what every or what most red-blooded Americans did during World War II when, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. He signed up for the military, but he's a conscientious objector. And he says, I'm not going to touch a weapon, and I'm not going to harm anyone else. As a matter of fact, what I want to do is I want to bring comfort to those who have been wounded in war. I'm signing up to go into the heat of battle as a medic. And so in this movie, you have this debate in the first part of it as to whether or not that's something they allow. And they finally give him permission as they say, you have our permission to go as fast as you want to go into the heat of battle without a weapon of any kind. He and his men are assigned to the 77th Infantry Division sent to the Pacific Theater to participate in the Battle of Okinawa. Here's what happens in the midst of that. They are sent to penetrate this escarpment that is 400 feet of cliff that they're going to have to climb in order to make any kind of penetration. The Navy has tried to soften up the landing zone, but the Japanese are so entrenched, it's very, very difficult. And they get to the top of this escarpment, and all at once... They, the Japanese come from everywhere. They launch a counteroffensive that just about took out everybody. 75 men wounded. And the rest retreating back down that 400 feet, down below, wondering what in the world are we going to do? Desmond Dawes, 
heard the cries of one of the men that was in his company. And he said, my job is to go get him. And so he goes and he gets him and he drags him to the edge of this cliff and he fashions this thing that he had learned in West Virginia in pulling people out of flood zones. And he lowered him down all the way to where the men below could catch him and they could treat this man that he rescued. And he laid there exhausted and he prayed, Lord, give me one more. And he goes and gets a second one. And he prays, Lord, give me one more. And he goes and gets a third and a fourth, a fifth. Desmond Doss on that day saved 75 men, lowering them down the escarpment, bringing them back to safety in the midst of all kind of just hellacious condition. He was awarded the Medal of Honor by President Harry S. Truman the first time in history it had ever been awarded to a conscientious objector. I don't want to take anything away from Desmond Dawes. I don't want to take anything away from his valor. I don't want to take anything away from his courage. I don't want to do any of those things. But here is my controversial question for us tonight. Was he not just doing his job? Did he not say when he signed up for military service, I want to be a medic and my job is to go into the heat of battle and to pull people out of those circumstances and those situations. And didn't he say, I will risk my life to save yours? Ordinary obedience, extraordinary outcomes, extraordinary opportunities, and now an extraordinary legacy. That is Desmond Doss. I would argue that is also Philip the Evangelist. Extraordinary opportunities that are promoted out of ordinary obedience. Look at how the story finishes. As they traveled along the road, They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea, it leads to the last idea I want you to consider tonight. Ordinary obedience leads to an extraordinary legacy. See, as Philip encounters the Ethiopian eunuch, he's reading from Isaiah 53 from this scroll. He comes to the water, he is baptized. Philip is taken away, he continues on his journey. Here is my belief. He continued reading from that scroll. And if he continued reading, he is going to come to Isaiah 56. Remember the two words I ask you to remember? He is a foreigner and he is a eunuch. I want you to look and hear the words of Isaiah 56. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me 
from his people. Let no one who is bound to the Lord, you're not of Jewish blood, but you are bound to the Lord. Let them not say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. I'll never be able to have children, for this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what please me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give them within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. The very temple that would not let him in because he was both foreigner and eunuch, there is now going to be a memorial to you in it. Obedient foreigners and eunuch not only experience this, they get a reward better than sons and daughters. When we do what God calls us to do, even if it's the simplest little thing, God can take all of that, create these extraordinary opportunities, and there is a legacy that is left for us That is unbelievable. So the Ethiopian eunuch disappears out of the pages of scripture here. But we do find him in extra biblical material. In AD 180, one of the church fathers, St. Arrhenius of Lyons, said about the Ethiopian eunuch, This man was also sent into the regions of Ethiopia to preach what he himself believed. That there was one God preached by the prophets but that the Son of God already made His appearance in human flesh, having been led like a sheep to the slaughter. One truth that Philip taught him. One. And he took it back to his country. And he changed the destiny of the people that he came in contact with. Because here's the thing that's also true. Ordinary followers of Christ have the ordinary responsibility of talking about how Christ has changed our life. What Christ has done for us. And you see that happen in the life of this man. Look at the legacy of Philip. In Acts 21, you get a glimpse of the legacy Philip left for the world to see. Luke records it this way. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He now has a name, a description of who he was. Philip became the Lord. Let me just get one more guy. And is there any greater legacy than that? That you would allow God to use you and use your story and the things God has done in your life to pull others close to him. Here's what I want to close with tonight. Our culture talks about us making a big, big splash. 
that we, we need to do something. We need to be involved in something so that we can be remembered. Here's what I would say to you. You probably aren't going to be remembered for what you do one day. You're going to be remembered for what you do every day. Are you a good dad? Are you a loving mom? Were you the kind of person that when gossip would come your way, you would sit there and go, no, not engaging in that. Are you someone with ordinary obedience that just says, step by step, I'm going to follow the Lord? If you are, watch what he does with it.